0: book two chapter fourteen of lady bridget in the never Neverland* land by rosa praed this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by kirsty a striking individual tall though not as tall or as massively built as colin mckeith firm boned and muscular but with a sort of feline grace of movement there was the unmistakable stamp of civilization, and at the same time an exotic suggestion of the east of wild spaces adventure, romance, not in the least a bushman, but wearing with ease and picturesqueness, a backwoods get-up, clothes, extremely well cut, riding breeches and boots, soft shirt and falling collar with a silk tie of dull flame colour knotted at the sinewy throat, loose coat, Panama hat, so much for the figure, the face ugly but distinguished, sallow brown in colouring nose long fine with a slight twist below the bridge cheeks and chin clean-shaven an enormous dark moustache concealing the mouth hair black slightly grizzled and when he lifted his hat forming a thick lightly frosted crest above his forehead eyes black peculiar eyes sombre restless but with a gaze steady and piercing when concentrated on a particular object as just now it was concentrated on lady bridget The gaze seemed compelling. Lady Bridget, suddenly lifting eyes that were instantly wide open, became aware of the man's presence. The effect of it upon her was so marked that McKeith, watching her face, felt a shock of surprise. The change in her was noticed by the police inspector with malevolent curiosity. So also by Mrs. Hensor, a little further away. The newcomer saluted her with a long bow, his hat in one hand, the other extended you haven't forgotten me i hope lady bridget though i should think that i am the very last person in the world you would have expected to see in these parts lady bridget had turned very white she stared at him as if he had been a ghost and at first seemed unable to speak but her confusion lasted only a few seconds almost before he had finished his sentence she had pulled herself together her hand was in his and she spoke in her old fluty voice and little grand manner with the old slow faintly whimsical smile on her lips and in her eyes it came over MacKeith that he had not of late been familiar with this aspect of her and that she was exhibiting to this man the same strange charm of her girlhood which had been to him in the full fervour of his devotion so wonderful and worshipful but of which-he knew it now-the bush had to a great extent robbed her she laughed as she withdrew her hand from that of the newcomer, and standing on the steps her head almost on level with his met his eyes with challenging directness really mr Maul, you shouldn't startle a nervous creature in that uncanny way appearing like the unmentionable personage or the angel if you prefer it only with this difference that we weren't speaking of you i hadn't the most distant notion that you were on this side of the equator if my husband had mentioned your name i should not have been so taken by surprise were you really so surprised "'I thought I must have sent my shadow on before me, because I've been thinking so tremendously of you these last few days, and of the prospect of seeing you again. I dare say you know,' he added, turning politely to McKeith, "'that I had the pleasure of meeting your wife when she was Lady Bridget O'Hara, one winter at Rome, with her cousins, Lord and Lady Gaverick, and later we saw something of each other in London. No, my husband doesn't know.' bridget gave a reckless laugh and her eyes challenged those of mckeith before he could answer you see colin and i when we married came from opposite poles geographically morally and mentally he did not understand or care about my old environment any more than i understood or cared about his so we agreed to bury our respective pasts in oblivion don't you think it was a good plan quite admirable i admire your mutual courage in adopting it you think so it has its drawbacks though said mckeith dryly i must apologise for having left you to announce yourself the fact is those blacks put other things out of my head they had to be taught that they couldn't disobey orders without being punished for it poor wretches yes i know the popular idea of asserting british supremacy over coloured races by the force of the whip i have not always seen it answer but then my experience has been with natives rather higher in the scale of evolution than the australian aboriginal you believe in the power of kindness as i do exclaimed lady bridget my husband and i take different views on that subject but we need not discuss them now come and have some tea and tell me about the talents moore followed her to the door of the living-room where she turned to give some orders to maggie the maid-servant and to the chinese cook mckeith went off with harris to see after the horses and have a talk with ninnis at the stockyards thus Moore was left alone for a few minutes to study and form his own opinion as to lady bridget's setting she was a woman who whatever her surroundings must always impress them with her personality this bush parlour was original in its simplicity walls lined with unvarnished wood which was mellowing already to a soft golden brown boards bare but for a few rugs and skins a fine piece of tapper from the solomons of barbaric design in black and orange made the centre of an arrangement of south sea island and aboriginal weapons divans heaped with cushions flanked the great fireplace two writing-tables occupied spaces between french windows one the desk of a business-like roll-top escritoire the other the flap of a chippendale bureau with a chippendale armchair before it there were a few other pieces unmistakably english in fact Eliza, Countess of Gaverick, in addition to a handsome present of plate, had sent her niece the furnishings of her old room at Castle Gaverick. A few pictures and etchings hung on the other walls, among them several wild seascapes, reminding one a little of Richard Doyle's exquisite watercolours, in which green billows and foamy wave-crests took the shape of sea-fairies. Also some weird tree-studies, mostly gum and gilia where gnarled limbs and bulbous protuberances turned into the faces of gnomes and the forms of strange monsters Maul had no doubt that these were lady bridget's own there was an upright grand piano the alleged cause of steadbolt's conversion to unionism and all about the place a litter of newspapers books and work the room was filled with flowers sheaves of wattle and of the pale sandalwood blossoms as well as many subtropical blooms with which he was not familiar blending with yet dominating the mixture of perfumes a peculiar scent resembling incense appealed to him and this he did not at first trace to a log of sandalwood smouldering on the open hearth more for effect than warmth for the early spring evenings had scarcely a touch of chill the french windows stood open to the verandah a room in itself with its many squatters chairs hammocks and tables beyond stretched the green expanse of plain utterly lonely the waters of the lagoon taking a reddish tinge where they reflected the lowering sun it seemed an inconceivable environment to have been chosen by the lady bridget he had known in london one of whose chief attractions to him had been that she represented a certain section of the aristocracy of great britain decadent perhaps but in the swim she came now along the veranda from the old humpy with the light rather hurried tread he remembered talking rapidly when she joined him "'I've been seeing about your room. "'I suppose you know enough now of the never-never "'to understand that we are quite primitive in our habits. "'You won't find a spring mattress or water laid on "'or any other convenience of civilization. "'May I remind you that I've roughed it pretty well in the Andes?' "'Yes, but you have had so many luxuries since then "'that you will have forgotten what roughing it feels like, "'just as I've forgotten now that I was ever anything but a barbarian. "'I see you shaved still. "'Yes. Why?' "'Only that I discovered just now the white ants had eaten all the woodwork of the spare-room looking-glass. The thing crumbled in my hand and fell on the floor and was broken. A bad omen for your visit, isn't it?' "'I hope not. So you are as superstitious as ever?' "'I haven't ceased to be a Celt, though I've become a barbarian. I'll borrow the overseer's looking-glass for you. Pray don't. I've got one of sorts in my razor-case.' is dinner regarded in the never-never as a sacred ceremonial the men don't put on dress clothes if that's what you mean as for the repast for a long time as a rule the menu was salt junk and pumpkin we've improved on that a little since the chinese cook and the chinese gardener came back from the goldfields there was another rush at fig tree mount that fizzled out to-night you will have kangaroo tail soup and kid en casserole if you make believe very hard, you might possibly imagine it young venison. Here, cuppy. The Malay boy brought in the tea tray, and she signed to him to put it on the table between the fire and the window. Tea? she asked. Or would you rather have whiskey and water? I can't offer you soda water, because till the drays come, we have nothing to run the seltzer gin with. Do you know that the unionists cut our dray-horses' throats? We're lucky to have whiskey in the store they broke open the cases of spirits and stole a lot of things vicissitudes of savage life you see she rattled on scarcely pausing she was seated on a divan the tea before her he in a squatter's chair with long arms in which he sat silent leaning forward his hands on the chair arms his eyes fixed upon her she avoided looking at him her small sun-browned hands fidgeted among the cups if anything remained of her anger and emotion she hid it under a ripple of absurd housewifely chatter not waiting for him to answer well is it to be tea or whisky tea please and then at last she stopped and looked at him and could not turn her eyes away or did not want to do so his black orbs stared with a disquieting fixity a sort of inhuman power from out of his foreign-looking face that stare was his chief weapon in the subjugation of women they called it magnetic and no doubt it was so it increased the fascination of his ugly good looks the gaze of each one seemed to fuse in that of the other hers at first coldly curious tentative caught light warmth intensity from the sombre fire of his suddenly he said in god's name biddy how did you come to marry that rough brute is he a rough brute it's very rude of you to say so but do you know just for half a minute today, i rather thought so myself i don't pretend to agree with colin's methods of treating the blacks though i'm told it's the only way to treat them you know they did commit terrible atrocities up here still to flog a black man a wild warlike human creature seems to me nearly as bad as shooting him do you know "'The first thing I ever heard about Colin "'was that he had a great many notches on his gun "'and that each one meant a wild black fellow "'that he had shot dead. "'And now he flogs tame ones,' Maul observed quietly. "'Her brilliant eyes searched his face "'for a sign of malevolent sarcasm, "'but not a muscle quivered. "'Her own eyes wavered under his steady look. "'She busied herself among the tea-things. "'Sugar?' "'Please.' "'But she paused.' the tongs balanced in her delicate fingers. "'It is frightfully thrilling, life in the bush.' "'What part of it, the shooting or the flogging?' She burst out. "'You know I hated that. You know I was furious about the flogging. You know—' She pulled herself up. "'I know nothing, except that you must have changed enormously in a very short time to have been thrilled with anything but horror by that sort of thing.' "'Yes, I have changed.' but it isn't time that changes one time never counts with me it's only feeling that counts oh of course i think it all horrible about the blacks up north they're not allowed on this station except one or two half-civilized stock boys and this one fell in love and carried off his gin and brought her here against my husband's orders yes and you had befriended them i gathered that but it doesn't explain you She took up a piece of sugar with the tongs, holding it suspended as she spoke, jerkily. "'Why should I be explained? As for my finding life in the bush thrilling, I was dead sick of falsities when I left England. I wanted to be thrilled by something real.' "'And you found that in your husband?' "'Yes, I did. He is real, at least. He is true to himself.' "'So few men have the strength of their goodness "'or the courage of their badness "'when it comes to a big test.' "'Oh, I grant you. "'Yes, I know that's what you're thinking. "'I wasn't true to myself in the big test. "'But you were to blame "'for my having been false to the higher ideal. "'I... "'Oh, what makes you... "'But she thought better of the impetuous questions "'that trembled on her lips, "'and went on in a different tone. "'What does that matter?' i'm not saying anything about high ideals what is high what is low you've just got to invoke truth and freedom as far as your conception of them goes and there's a reason for colin's hatred of the blacks ah is it permitted to ask the reason his family were all massacred by the natives father mother sisters all well one admires a man steadfast in revenge going straight for what he wants and getting it doing it in love or in hate. Now I have answered your question. The gesture of her head seemed a defiance. She dropped the sugar into his tea, and he took the cup from her hands and slowly drank it without saying a word. It was she who broke the silence. "'You provoke me. You make me say things I don't want to say. You always did. Ah, then marriage has not changed you so immensely after all.' She bit her lip and rose abruptly. Do you want any more tea? No. Then come to the veranda and tell me how it is that Luke Tallant has allowed you to exchange Government House for the Never Never. He had followed her through the French window. I see you haven't heard the bad news. No. What? We only get a mail once a week. I thought McKeith would have broken the shock. He came on, he said, to do so. Poor lady Tallant. Rosamond, the operation she died under the anaesthetic sir luke got the news by cable the day before i left leichardt's town he wired at once for leave and has started for england by this time oh poor rosamond poor poor rosamond is she to be so greatly pitied she has been saved much suffering then as bridget went on murmuring oh poor rosamond she did love life he added gently life can be very cruel I myself have had cause for gratitude to death, the great simplifier. If my wife had lived, she must have been a hopeless invalid doomed to continual pain. Lady Bridget gave him a swift look of reproach. "'Oh, do you expect me to congratulate you?' she exclaimed bitterly. "'Yes,' she went on. "'Perhaps to her death was merciful, but not to Rosamond. "'And Luke did care for his wife. "'He will be broken-hearted.' she stood gazing out upon the plain on which the mist was gathering from across the gully sounded the cattle being driven home when she turned to him her eyes were full of tears i think i'll go now she said simply colin will show you to your room he's there coming up from the lagoon she went through a french window lower down the veranda into her bedroom and Maul descended the steps into the garden and presently joined his host End of Book 2, Chapter 14